Welcome back to The Hum and the Holler, the podcast that no longer accompanies the images and spells of our 2021 calendar, The Hum and the Holler, but we're now going on a new adventure with Beloved Stranger in 2022. Yeah, if you've been following along, you'll know that we just closed out the riddle of last year. Uh, The Hum and the Holler was our 2021 calendar, and it was a riddle that followed the whole year around. And this year, we're going to keep the title of the podcast, so... Now, The Hum and the Holler is the name of the podcast that you'll tune into to follow along with our 2022 calendar, Beloved Stranger. Yeah, think of this as season two. So these fables, um, you can find them published on our website under the tab Fables. They should be available the first week of every month. The first day of every month. It's important for us to not have too many really hard deadlines. I think that's part of how we take good care of ourselves and good care of our creative process. But I'm also feeling, I feel pretty strongly about getting that chapter out on the first day of the month and have that be a real deal. And these fables are about the unknown and the unknowable. They're about peering into scary places in our hearts, learning to love what is strange in ourselves and in others, And this podcast, as you may notice from the late day of January, uh, the podcast will always come out later in the month. We're aiming for the third Sunday, but as Joe said, we're wiggly. Our lives are complex. The world is strange. Sometimes we miss that mark. And we had one of you write in and ask, why aren't we releasing these earlier in the month? We are actually going through this process with you. We're sitting with the stories. We're seeing what emerges We are trusting in the time that it can take for what is most potent, most salient uh, to emerge, right? To surface. My partner mentioned recently that we make time-based art. And usually if you're in the world of time-based art, you're going to think about music or dance, something that isn't visual art, (laughs) that isn't, we've made a static object that you can look at again and again. But as calendar makers, we have found a way to do visual art as time-based art. And as podcasters, we really require that time of living into the theme of totally. the Totally. We're image makers and storytellers, and we're fundamentally collaborators, both with each other, but we've also learned throughout our collaboration with each other that we are collaborating with more than us, with more than human, with more than seen with more than deadlines. And we've had to learn to practice a kind of not knowing and and sitting in not even being able to know (laughs) how or when things are going to come through. And obviously we have to create a little bit of a boundary there so we get stuff done and that things can actually happen. But that, that openness is a big part of how we work. We trust it. So last year we were doing a riddle And we were working within a modality of, yeah, a riddle brings us close to the unknown, but we're also trying to solve it there. And, you know, we did our own version of solving it, but there was at least this sense of you could tune in and be like, what am I going to learn about this next piece? And maybe I'll have an aha moment of insight. And with the fables, we're inviting you to stay in the unknown with us a little bit more. An important piece of information about these fables and the podcast is to say that the fables will always be 
appropriate for all ages. We're writing those so that they can be shared with family, friends, kids, um, everybody. But the podcasts are a little bit more stream of consciousness. We're going to have swear words come out. They're also going to probably be mentions to some part of healing from trauma. We are aware that the podcast might just have some mature content. And so if you are wondering about whether or not you want to share this podcast with someone with tender, sensitive mind and ears, please feel free to listen to it first before broadcasting it to a younger audience. Another thing that's changing about the podcast this year besides moving from riddles to fables, is that our format is changing. This year, we want to hear your voices on the podcast, not just ours. Oh, I'm so excited about this. This year's calendar is all about connection with others, with the other, with what is beyond us, what is strange to us, even within ourselves, and beyond what we can know and it just feels like it would be, well, Karina, what's the word? Like, what would it be? What's the word for what it would be if it was just us talking about what is actually always beyond us? Um, navel-gazing? Solipsistic? Dimensionality, I guess, is the word that's coming to my mind, that we really want to invite more dimensionality to our project, to our process. And we want to invite more to talk about and think about than we can do on our own. And so we're opening up our process to include your voices and your stories. If you want to share a story, what you're going to do is go to the podcast page on our website. It's different than the fables page. So go to the page that's called podcast and you'll see a link for leaving us a voice message. And you'll also see a list of themes, one of them for each month of the year. Those themes are related to what the fables will be touching on for each of those months. And we're looking for stories that are first person, true stories. Think of like the moth story slams or readers write in Sun Magazine. Uh, But they don't have to be super dramatic or super polished. Quiet, thoughtful moments are beautiful. We're interested mainly in how you're thinking about things based on your life experience, your context, what questions come up for you, where those questions have led you. That's the sort of thing we want to know about you. And if you're interested in touching into the unknown in your own life, where you've encountered the the scarier moments of uncertainty, where you've encountered things in yourself that you didn't expect and maybe didn't feel exactly welcome, um, feel free to share those. Don't worry about trigger warnings for us. You can share any story, really. We, we can hold it. And you can, of course, share anonymously, but we will ask for a name and a contact just so we can get in touch with you. Look for the link to share your stories in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for listening, for joining the conversation. We are Abacus Corvus. I am Joe, and I am nestled in the hills of Madison County in western North Carolina on stolen Cherokee land. And I am Karina. I'm living on Lenny Lenape land, also known as Philadelphia. Also, huge gratitude being sent out to our Patreon peeps. We are ever so grateful for your support. And in addition to this 
main podcast. There is a bonus podcast on the same feed, which looks at the astrology of each month from new moon to new moon. That one's called The Hum. And it drops right before the new moon every month. So there's one out right now. The next one will be on January 31st in time for the Aquarius new moon on February 1st. One night, Crow had a dream. There was something broken in the earth. Mountains sprang up through the forest, their jagged peaks piercing the tree canopy and pulling meadows and rivers apart. Water flowed uphill and sideways, trying to right itself as the landscape kept changing. Crow heard a great groaning noise as the earth splintered into cracks and fissures, sending all the birds into the air and all the land animals scurrying. In the dream, Crow's comfortable nest, safely tucked into the upper arms of an oak tree, was swept up by the sudden change. The ancient oak lost its grip on the earth and toppled down the mountainside. Crow saw all her beautifully woven twigs and pine needles coming apart in the rushing wind. Crow woke with a start. The echo of that dreadful groaning still rang in her ears. With a twitch of her wings and a quick look around, she found she was still safe in her nest, the world around her unchanged. Except it wasn't. When her eyes settled, she saw something new, a new thing that had not been there before, a thing that didn't make sense. It looked like a rock, a white rock, with blue translucent planes, embroidered with rich green lichen, and there it was, just sitting across from her in her nest. It reminded her of the dream, and she shuddered imagining it as a broken-off piece of the raging mountain landed in her nest as a warning, a message. She pecked at it, but it did not budge. Up close, the rock was strangely beautiful, like a miniature landscape, but Crow would have preferred to admire it from a distance, or at least where it belonged, on the ground. Big rocks do not belong in comfortable nests, They are cold and pointy and heavy. How did it get here? What did it mean? All rainy morning, Crow huddled in her nest, considering this stone, puffed up against it in a distinctly unfriendly way. She thought and thought, but remained mystified that a rock this heavy could fall from the sky into a nest as high as hers. She felt prickly, nervous, but no matter how big she puffed out her feathers, the rock did not move, and she could not stop thinking about it. Despite the dreary weather, she decided to fly out and pay some visits to see what she could learn. So coming from this story, what jumps out at you first, Joe? The deep unsettling 
that occurs when there's an, a connection made between the conscious and unconscious in this way that we don't understand. And I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more. Like we've got this incredibly um, provocative, emotionally provocative kind of terror dream. We've got a panic dream, like a nightmare. And then to wake up from a dream and find that there is actually something in your waking world, something in your conscious reality, solid, touchable, undeniable, that is creating a resonance with the dream content, with content that's sort of being, being coming up from the unconscious. Because often one of the best parts about the unconscious material is that it can be very disturbing, but it stays, it stays as thought, it stays as emotion, it stays as just these symbols, I guess. That vibe, that tension, that anxiety, right? Yeah, anxiety is what I pulled out of this as one of the main things I wanted to talk about because there's such, for me, this story pulls on such a familiar feeling of there's a story in my mind about a worst case scenario, about something really bad happening. And then my mind is able to latch onto something in reality and and hook that story mm. onto it and say, here's, here's the proof that my fears are true. Mm -hmm. That's actually a, a, a beautiful companion to what I was saying, right? That's like, mm -hmm. it's like what, hap yeah, exactly. what happens next when there is that tension between something in the physical world resonating or, or vibing with this unconscious fear, unconscious place. Yeah. Right? And you know, not for nothing, here we are in how many months now, how many years now of a pandemic in which disorientation, disruption have become normalized. And there's this low level background fear that's still very real in the collective. And one of the hardest things I think of about this moment is watching how that fear pings around and attaches and hooks onto stories. What people do when they believe that their worst fears are real. What do people do when they believe their worst fears are real? We've talked about this on the podcast before, but when we are in that place of activation around fear in the brain, our brains work differently. And if we believe the stories that our brains are feeding us when we are in the fear, what happens is we lose touch with the parts of ourselves that are able to access compassion or patience or even a kind of clear thinking. Nuance. Nuance, exactly. All of that gets flattened. Mm -hmm. And fear also tells us we must act immediately. And so mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the rise in uh, right-wing violence against activists. Mm -hmm. I am thinking of totally. the stories people have in their minds about the others Conspiracy around theories. them being somehow mm -hmm. threat first and human second, if, if at all. I think, I mean, I think that's, that's such an enormous, uh, theme, right? It, it's, I've, I've read books that claim that this is a big part of, um, how humans have been, have, have worked, you know, evolutionarily. I don't know enough about that to say that that's actually what's going on. But. I am suspicious of evolutionary biology, but go on. I, there, there are a lot of things to be suspicious about, and then there are some other things that actually feel, what feels true to me, 
because I've been living it is that that is one way to respond mm -hmm. to being afraid mm -hmm. is to, to create a really clear line and have, have there be someone on the other side that is other than you that you can discharge mm -hmm. all kinds of energy at because you, because you're not, because something is happening where you don't know how to tolerate or deal with the actual intensity of being as afraid, afraid as you are or dealing with uncertainty that mm -hmm. is, that is present. I think that is something that people do and I'm evolutionary biology be damned. It's just, it, I guess maybe that's how I understand the shadow, you know, mm -hmm. psychologically is that we need somebody else over there to be where we dump all kinds of, um, of our, of our, of our demons. Like we kind of need to dump the demon somewhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah. But when you say we need to, are you saying that humans will always be doing this? I mean, that's where I get, you know, when we speak in big generalities mm -hmm. about this is what humans need to do, okay. that's where yeah. I get a little, this is helpful. I get my me. back up. Yeah. I think what I mean by we need to is, I think that it might be an inherent part of having a, a mind that has both conscious and unconscious components. I believe that there will always be elements that come up unconsciously that our conscious mind finds intolerable, kind of as a default. And it doesn't always have to be the most drastic us and them kinds of things that we need to do. Like for instance, like when I'm feeling a certain way it's it's almost immediate sometimes that I think my partner is doing something wrong you know and then when I look at it I'm like oh no 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 I'm feeling something and I and I can't totally tolerate the fact that that I'm feeling it and it feels easier to feel what I'm feeling if there's someone else to feel it about right and I I think that it's a it's actually a very mysterious part of having a mind that has conscious and con and unconscious parts and having having evolved socially Okay, that makes a lot of sense. The only thing that I still want to poke at in your theory, though, and this is really just me poking at evolutionary biologists who I have a bone to pick with, mm -hmm. is I don't think that there is a universal human culture or universal human conditions. And so when we look at this is what it means to be human, I also always want to be bringing in culture and environment and I love that. just expanding that into yeah. this is what we as... Americans in the 21st century uh, under capitalism and white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. This is what we see a lot of. This is what I can see from where I am. I really appreciate that, Karina, right? That, mm -hmm. that I'm talking about something that I have been familiar with and that makes sense to me. And that view, um, I just have this feeling we're going to get kind of meta a lot in this process. Do you think? I think so. Because... <laughs> Because we're, everything that, that, you know, the, the way that I'm talking about this is, is coming from a place that's, um, that can't see what it can't see, right? Mm -hmm. And so how, how wonderful that you can remind me of the realm that I can't talk about, <laughs> this whole field, this whole landscape, this whole entire world of how the human mind could work that I don't know about because it's other than me. And that's exactly what we're doing this year. Yep. Is 
pushing ourselves, <laughs> inviting you mm-hmm. on a journey of, wait a second, though, let's go beyond our assumptions of, of everything that we think mm-hmm. is clear yeah. and comprehensible. I, I think I maybe even want to just come in and say that some of the energy and the charge that's in me, this is something that maybe our listeners can come to know about me. Some of you already know me and know this about me, um, <laughs> is that um, sometimes the if there's like importance, if there's some big charge in what I'm saying, it actually makes mm. me speak less clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I sound, I tend to sound like authoritative around big generalizations. That's like, you know, Karina knows this probably best about me, right? It's like, what are you really, what's really going on? And I, I kind of need time to tease out these different things in me. Were you about to say something? Oh no, I'm just, I'm agreeing. And I think that I have that too. And I see this when I talk to my partner who (laughs) is more of a logical debater than I am. Totally. And I find myself always being like, this is the emotional fact though. Well, (laughs) and that's, this is how it feels. That's great. It's true, you know, but, but it doesn't, but to me that uh, that's different than what I'm doing. It doesn't feel to me like everyone needs that humans need to do this all the time. Like that's actually an inaccurate statement. What, you know, like right? No, but I'm t- I'm talking about when you when there's a big charge, as you put totally. it, totally emotionally, energetically, when you're riled up about a thing. I think that you and I, maybe because of our trauma history, maybe because of our Leo, the way that our families, our Leo natures, because of <laughs> whatever it is, I think that you and I both have this quality of being like, oh, I know what's going on. Uh-huh. Let me tell you what's going uh-huh. on. This is this is the truth. This is the answer because we needed to parse through a lot of really confusing things as kids and, and find some big truths in order to hold on to that. Totally. And be like, wait a second. Totally. This is the thing. And so part of why I think we have a podcast is for us to <laughs> both do that because it's fun for us <laughs> and then also subvert and undercut the simplicity or the, the sense of certainty to to put more parameters to 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 really draw more conscious boundaries around what the charge that i that i feel is trying to say around this nature of the conscious and the unconscious and the shadow and the us and them is that 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 perspective seems very important to me as i understand whiteness specifically that mm. to to understand that i think part of how whiteness is perpetuated is through an absolutely normalized and accepted process of discharging intolerable shadow Mm -hmm. elements and, and finding any available non-white other while sounding sounding authoritative. authoritative. (laughs) So here I am right in that meta thing where it's like, let me be white as hell as I try to take apart whiteness. Right. And, and I also, I love that you put it that way because I think for us and for other people I've seen, when you start to encounter, when you start to do anti-racist work and you encounter the really scary other inside yourself of, oh damn, white supremacy lives inside of me too. Um, one of the first emotional reactions can be one of like freeze or fear or, you know, like, like there can just be the sense of I am a bomb that's exploding and how do I like get myself off the planet? Mm -hmm. 
rather than what I found as I deepen into it. And I think you too also is that that response is itself a kind of perfectionism Mm -hmm. (laughs) from, from white supremacist culture that, um, that teaches us, you know, and there's, there's so many things in this world I'm not going to like hit every single point, although I want to in honor of bell hooks who always so beautifully had that whole list of um, descriptors of, of the mm-hmm. dominant forces in the culture. But there are so many reasons why we might show up feeling that who we are is toxic, damaged, damaging, shouldn't be here or that parts mm-hmm. of ourselves shouldn't be here. And that in order to live a good life and be a good person, what we need to do is cut those parts of ourselves away or hide them forever. That there, there, there's really like painful energetics mm-hmm. that happen around the, the belief Shameful. that... The shame. Yeah. The shame of, of who we are in all of our parts. And many of those parts, when we look at them, we're like, oh no, really? That? Mm-hmm. So Mm -hmm. all of this is to say it really warms my heart to hear you talking about this and talking about it with laughter and self-love. The, the inevitability, the inevitability that, that if I'm going to try to recondition or unlearn right aspects of myself, they're going to fight back and they're, and they're going to come out and try to, take the wheel, even as I'm talking, you know, they're so deep. I mean, it's just so deep. All of these tendencies. One of my dearest people in this world is a Levinas scholar. And for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with Jewish philosophy, which is maybe most of you, uh, Levinas wrote a lot about ethics uh, from a Jewish perspective. And he described ethics as postponing the inevitable failure. And I love that so much because it acknowledges exactly what you're talking about, which is it is inevitable that these things will come up. It is inevitable that we're going to find ourselves Mm -hmm. causing harm, not being our best selves, caught up in something that we thought we were better than or wanted to be better than. And that the practice of Mm -hmm. ethics is mm-hmm. to be aware that we're going to keep stumbling and and to try to put it off for as long as possible. <laughs> and, then, and then also, you know, do some repair on the other side. But but to just, to know that it's like a balloon we're trying to keep in the air, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, what a balm for any, any perfectionist tendency, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Karina, as you were yeah. talking, I was thinking about the, the fable again and our, our crow character and how a beloved way of going through a story for me is to is to hop into different places in it and see how I might be feeling if I was there to kind of see which part stays with me uh, which parts of the story I have a harder time focusing on which ones stay really really illuminated one of the things I actually wanted to ask you you know but I'm going to answer the question myself first (laughs) maybe I'll ask it to myself first (laughs) If you were to put yourself in the crow's position, how are you feeling about that stone? How are you feeling about that piece of quartz that you're seeing in your nest? The first thing that has been coming to my mind, right, is who put that there? How did that get there? And the question, who put this here, seems to be the most immediate 
conscious synthesis of I, I can't consciously accept the fact that for me to have just dreamed this and have this be here, it feels like I put this here. How immediate of an obstacle there can be in the mind between what your fear is actually resonating to and what your conscious thought is about that fear. If the fear is, I put this here, I'm, I created this disturbance because it was in my dream or whatever, that, that you're, even if that's what you're feeling, you could be really likely to say, who put this here? Yeah, so it, when I put myself into the position of the crow in, in this story, looking at the stone, I have two questions. And the first one is, did I dream this into being? And then the other question I have is, am I seeing what's really here? Am I still in my dream? I want to be clear that I don't think our friend the crow is asking either of these questions yet, though, at this point in the story. If I put myself into the crow's perspective in the story, if I'm not asking questions as me in the story, but if I put myself in the crow's perspective, what's most resonant for me is the last paragraph where she's all like, her feathers are all puffed up and she's feeling nervous and she just mm -hmm. can't stop thinking about the stone. And in that moment, I really resonate with that feeling of my comfortable life has been disrupted. There is something that's making mm -hmm. itself known to me that is unclear, uncertain. Who knows what it means? Who knows what, what mm -hmm. it is a portent of? And I can't be patient and, and let things unfold. I can't just be like, interesting. Well, <laughs> see what that means later. Going on with my day. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe I'll find out in time. Totally. Instead, like that, that one disruption that could open into thousands of different branches of possible futures paralyzes me. And... And I'm in that state of, mm -hmm. I need to choose the right future. I need to figure out somehow what this means so that I can protect myself from it or mm. align myself with the future in which I mm. can make this for the good somehow. Do you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> I do know what you mean. And I'm, I'm sitting with how, how intimately people are going to have the opportunity to get to know us. As I'm hearing you talk, it's really familiar to me about how you respond to disruption and fear. I know, I know how you do that. You know, I'm, I've watched you do that. I've been alongside you as you do that. And, and I am realizing that one of the ways that I might respond to this again, not necessarily as the crow, but as me is like, it's a sign this rock is a sign and I almost refuse to admit that it would be a bad sign. So really I might be on my way to becoming a chosen one. I have been chosen. I have no fucking idea why. I don't know what for, but the way that I'm going to deal with this uncertainty is by taking on a lot of responsibility to hold the, th the thread of this being for good somehow, right? Joe, this um, reminds me of a story about 
disruption that I want to tell from our lives together, which was Mm -hmm. when I was, um, when I was in my twenties, we were both in our twenties and I was living in a, (laughs) I was living in a pretty dirty punk house and it was summer in Philadelphia. And I think that there was like a big punk fest happening. You know, there were like shows playing all over. And so we had, um, travelers, that didn't even live in our house, sleeping in our house. So so many of them that like I would open my bedroom door and have to walk over somebody sleeping in the hallway. Like it was like that. And that summer I developed this really, really itchy, painful rash, as you do when you're living in dirty punk houses in Philadelphia in the summer. <laughs> and I was like, is it scabies? Is it bud bugs? What is it? It wasn't any of those things. I couldn't figure it out. And my first thought was just, I just got to get out of Philly. And I hopped on a Greyhound bus and went up to Vermont, where you were living at the time. And I was like, I remember being on the bus and like really trying to like not scratch myself through my clothes and kind of being like, oh my God, I am that guy right now. I'm the one you don't want to sit next to on the Greyhound bus. And, And I got up there and I was like, Joe, I am miserable I don't know how to solve this Mm -hmm. what is happening to my body and I remember you drawing me a bath putting a whole bunch of oatmeal in it and setting me in the oatmeal bath and just sitting next to the bathtub with me telling me in your most (laughs) um I have been chosen and I know what's going on voice Karina (laughs) this is such a beautiful opportunity for you to understand your body better listen your body is giving you such clear messages right now this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Right. And <laughs> maybe a little bit of backdrop there, right. Is that I am someone who has skin stuff constantly yeah. and has had skin stuff constantly. Right. So it wasn't just like, it was a little bit of like, am I always just talking to myself? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you're mm-hmm. like, remember, remember Joe all those years ago when, had red spots all over your oh, body yeah. that you had no idea what they were from. And we called you Maculate. had to do oatmeal baths every day. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was Maculate, the Maculate one. Yeah. So I'm just particularly intimate with, with skin things. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I I certainly felt like I was the chosen one to, to guide <laughs> you deeper into your body at that point. What was important for me in that moment, too, was that neither of us knew the cause. And mm-hmm. you had such a sense of rightness of just like, this is the right Mm -hmm. thing to be happening right now. Well, I think that, that that is both a beautiful part of how we can respond to disruptions and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I also think that that can be a quick jump over the terror, over the emotions. Yeah. It's both, Mm -hmm. you know, and, And I'm someone who is really good at making that jump because when I make that jump, I feel, okay, good. I've got, I've got this, right? Like I've decided that this is something that I can hold and to actually feel the, the disruption and the terror, I need to be held. 
yeah. in those situations. And I'm actually, it's much easier to talk about, you know, our history. It's mu- I've, I learned that I shouldn't go there. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be in a space where I would need to be held. I need to jump really quickly to the place where I'm holding myself. I'm even feeling held by wisdom. I'm feeling held mm-hmm. by ancestors. You know, like I can, I can imagine a kind of holding for myself that's very lovely and incredibly helpful and does not actually create the kind of healing Mm -hmm. that is needed around um, connection with other human beings. Right, right. (sighs) How complex we all Mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And turned out there's food allergies, in case you were wondering. (laughs) You know, I know that we're talking about the unknown, but I'm like, some things we get to know, you get to know the end of the story. That's all. How do we end this, Karina? Yeah, that's what I've been wondering. I don't think we know yet in this mm-hmm. in this podcast about the unknown and unknowable. If you haven't noticed, uh, we are really collaborating with uncertainty more and more these days, mm-hmm. collectively, mm-hmm. on this podcast. <laughs> well, Karina, how has it been for you? Maybe we can end this one mm. with like a, like, how has it been for you to to just dive in with me and not really know where we're going. One of the things I noticed while we were talking today is how interested I am in you as a human and the things I don't know about you and (laughs) how impressed I am with your capacity to articulate all these different shifting experiences inside of you and Mm. that the Mm. older we get together the better you are at that. And that's kind of why I wanted to do this podcast with you. You know, that's really great because let's, I'm just going to hold that up next to one of those, uh, you know, articulations of what my subjective state is. There's, there's definitely a point in this podcast where it felt like I was going (laughs) and then you'd go, And then you'd go, oh, yeah, clear, clear, calm, clear, true. And I'd be like, (laughs) and you'd be like, yeah, some things that you haven't said clearly that I'm going to say clearly. And and I have that experience a lot sometimes with you. And so it's really nice to get that reflection from the other, right? That while you're over here going, (laughs) that someone else is experiencing you as like articulate and nuanced. That's really great. On that note, we invite you to send us your stories. You can sound (laughs) however you want to. Seriously. And we will appreciate what you send us. I also just want to say, as we wrap up this first podcast of this new chapter, this new season of The Hum and the Holler, that I am thrilled to be hearing from you all and to be potentially getting to weave your voices in with our voices and have people hear more than just us talking is really exciting to me. So thanks in advance for, for braving the vulnerability. I'm looking forward to it. And as always, if you are interested in more of what we do, our website is abacuscorvus.com. You can find us on Instagram at abacuscorvus. And uh, the calendar that accompanies this podcast, as many of you know, sold out much faster than we were anticipating in early December. And uh, these next two weeks are going to be uh, just where the uncertainty 
will remain until we hear back from the distributors and get a sense of, of how many, if any, calendars will get returned to us from retailers. If you weren't able to get one while we still had one, we have a wait list going. And if you send me an email at abacuscorvus at gmail.com, I can put your name on the wait list and let you know when we get them back, if we get them back. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next month. Mm-hmm.